You know what I've liked recently? What? You've become the stat guy of the podcast. <laughs> like, sort of. I guess so. Why? Because it happened once? Oh, it's about to happen again, too, right? That's true. Unless you lied to me. Oh, no, I got stats for us. Um, Are they interesting? I also, have, I also have a tangent for us to talk about, too. Uh, you were ready. <laughs> you took a deep breath, and then I cut you off because I don't... I didn't even have... No, I didn't even... You just reminded me now of the tangent. I was about to sigh and say I forgot what I wanted to talk about. I still don't remember what it was. It's probably a movie that I saw, but I didn't see it. I don't know. I did look. I just watched Days of Thunder, actually. Um, after seeing Tom Cruise and Top Gun, it reminded me I've always wanted to see Days of Thunder. Right. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about your NASCAR love. And yeah. Days of Thunder kind of scratches that itch. Um, well, I was hoping it would. Um, <laughs> it's just Top Gun in a car. <laughs> oh, yeah. But worse. Um, yeah, so then I watched Talladega Nights also in the middle of days of thunder i i turned on talladega nights finished talladega nights and then finished days of thunder talladega nights is very funny it is and also in some way it it scratches the nascar itch better or at least equally to but since it's newer the action scenes are kind of better is this meaning to be like relevant to what we're talking about because it accidentally is i think because sasha's in oh sasha talladega nights no i wasn't even really going for that i mean it works though so you're yeah, just... sure. I meant that. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to talk about relevant to what we're talking about today, which is Madagascar colon escape to the number two Africa adapted from the French film Un Madagascar. Uh... <laughs> Are you sure it's an own? If I if I gun to your head, is it an own? No, it wouldn't be. Un Madagascar. The Madagascar. Is that what that means? Um, I don't know, but it, I... <laughs> I that just reminded me of you. You were probably a big DVD commentary guy, right? Yeah, I would say so. Um, did you watch the Adventureland DVD commentary? No, I remember watching that. Uh, it opens with Greg Matola being like, and this is the director being like, uh, this is Adventureland, uh, an English adaptation of the German film Adventureland. <laughs> I was just like, loved. For some reason, I love that joke. That's funny. Another great oh. movie. Oh, man, I miss commentaries, man. It's been so long. Nobody buys physical media anymore. Yeah, they got to put those on friggin' streaming services. You know what takes the place of commentary now, a lot of the times, is you get access to all the video of the press junkets, so they just talk about everything they were going to talk about on the commentary there. Yeah. It's not the same. I agree. Or they and go look, on, a pod with, or they'll go on with, Conan's podcast or something like that. Yeah, same <laughs> with blooper reels. Um, they don't really exist. Some streaming services put some bloopers out, but it like, they don't really get a lot of play anymore. And now there's like Instagram accounts that rip bloopers and, and upload them as Instagram posts. That's big with like friends in the office and stuff. I, uh, blooper reels. I appreciate for sitcoms and shows and stuff like that. I, I've never been a big, like blooper reel for movies kind of thing, especially when we're like, you're watching a drama. Like I don't need like a blooper reel for revolutionary road starring DiCaprio <laughs> and Kate Winslet, you know, like. Yeah, I mostly like it. Like, I, I actually, one of the things that made me most interested in TV was not a show, but was the Friends blooper reel, because in the later seasons, they're just screwing around on set. And it's just you watching a fun working environment, or seemingly a fun working environment. And those are the blooper reels I like, where it's, by the later seasons, Perry is just, if they have like three takes where they mess up, then by the fourth, Perry will just sabotage the take just for fun. Yeah. And they'll play jokes on each other. That's like, that's like, that's fun. But I don't need to see like, oh, this is the, watch DiCaprio have uh, Tom Hardy pull his finger on the set of The Revenant. <laughs> <laughs> Picture the blooper is that the bear took his leg off. <laughs> Michael Fassbender putting down a whoopee cushion on the set of 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. 
Johnny Knoxville invited to the set of Schindler's List. <laughs> you know, you know what Madagascar reminded me of? We opened last week talking about um, forgotten sitcom dads. Yeah. From the Fox Network. First of all, can you pause for one second so I can say who we are? Oh, yes. Cinema Chain Gang podcast. Andrew Oje talking right now. That's Nick Ricardo, who is about to launch into a big, long tangent. <laughs> so I wanted to stop him before we got to that point. Episode, I was you tell me more about who I am, you know? We are on episode 16 of the podcast. We are completing chain number eight today. We started with Terry Polo, who is the wife in Little Fockers, uh, used Ben Stiller, her husband in Little Fockers, to get to the movie we're talking about today. Uh, Madagascar Escape to Africa, the second movie in the Madagascar trilogy from DreamWorks starring Sasha Baron Cohen, who is our end point. Co-starring Sasha Baron Cohen. Go ahead. Now you can go into what you're saying. Now that the unimportant stuff's out of the way. <laughs> the, the basic setup. Let's talk about what Madagascar reminded me of, which is the 2004 to 5 animated... Is this, a, is this also a Fox show? I don't know. The animated show. I feel like this would be a Fox show. Oh, NBC. Shocker. Father of the Pride. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. You know, <laughs> it was I almost, an animated, it was a CGI animation show about lions. I almost brought that up last episode. Really? Yeah. yeah when we were same. talking about sitcoms that lasted like for three minutes with, mm -hmm. um, I don't know, but I remember. So again, everything comes back to me. Like what the fragments of what I remember as a kid, I remember in 2004, whenever that came out, it was, there was a feature on it in Disney adventure. Do you know what that is? No. It's a magazine series where you would get like, it was basically Entertainment Weekly for kids. Like you'd open it up and it'd have like summer movie previews, like of movies that you maybe were able to see or. or and okay. I was a Nick Magazine kid. Yeah, I got that too. But uh, it was like fall TV preview and Father of the Pride was one of them uh, because it's ABC and ABC and Disney's corporate synergy and everything. Uh, wait, is it NBC? You said it was NBC. This is NBC. Okay, ignore everything I just said about corporate synergy. Um, but it had like animated lions, so they probably wanted kids to be intrigued, and I was intrigued. Never watched the show actually, but I remember that uh, Daryl Sabrera, uh, yeah, just, of just, Spy yeah. Kids, is in the show. I don't remember who like the actual star of the show is. John Goodman. Yeah, so like that. And Cheryl Hines. John Goodman. Cheryl Hines means nothing to nine-year-old Drew. <laughs> Daryl Sabrera, in his first post-Spy Kids trilogy role, come on. That's yeah, that's huge. Also, Carl Reiner, John O'Hurley. Yeah. Wendy Malick. Yeah. What's the basic premise? The show revolves around the adventures of a family of white lions, the patriarch of which stars in a Siegfried and Roy show in Las Vegas. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that was the hook. Like he's like uh he's part of a magic act, right? Um, which you know, now that I think about it, is kind of surprising because the Tiger Attack was two thousand three, and then this came out in oh four to five. Listen, they animated shows take a while. Animated movies take a while. They probably were so far along in production. They're like, we can't scrap uh, this now. The show lasted 15 episodes. Two were unaired and one of them was unfinished. <laughs> Lions were having a moment then, I guess, it's because 2004 was that show. And then 2005 was the release of the first Madagascar movie, uh, which is one of DreamWorks' big franchises. They have Shrek. They have How to Train Your Dragon. And um, they have Kung Fu Panda. And they also have the Madagascar trilogy. Uh, came out in 2005. A uh, friend of the podcast, uh, Nash, uh, brought up an astute point before while we were setting up here. So I'm going to give, we're going to give claps for Nash. We're both holding I our mics now. So. No, he was saying like DreamWorks was trying to capitalize off of a bad moment for Disney because Disney was going through a slump at this point. This was Atlanta to Lost Empire, okay. Treasure Planet, Home on the Range, Chicken Little. And they were going through 
one of their high points with the first two Shrek movies and um, other things that were coming at that time. I mean, listen, it, it wasn't... Way, Father of the Pride was DreamWorks, too. Father of the Pride, there you go. Um, so they used Madagascar as like a jumping off point for one of their next big franchises. In the original film, it's Ben Stiller, it's Chris Rock, Jada Pickett-Smith, which we'll go into the implications of that, those two being in the same cast together in a bit. And it's David Schwimmer. They play a lion, a zebra, um, a hippo, and a giraffe. Ben Stiller's Alex the Lion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Rock is Marty the Zebra. I don't even have to look this up. I know this by heart. Um, Jada Pickett-Smith is Gloria the Hippo, mm-hmm. and David Schwimmer is Melman the Giraffe. Um, and they all get shipped off to Madagascar like kind of on accident. And the first movie is them in Madagascar. And now then we reach the sequel, Madagascar Escape to Africa, which came out in 2008. Uh, it kind of expands the Madagascar verse a little bit. Um, okay. Yeah. And they end up in <laughs> Africa. Like probably a better they're, there still, they're, they're still trying to get back to New York and they end up in Africa is mm-hmm. the, 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 the general gist of it. Yeah. So um, we'll go into it more after that, but I just wanted to do that. To, to set the time, to set, give you a bit of context as to when this movie came out, uh, the first teaser trailer for Madagascar 2, back when the movie was then called Madagascar colon The Crate Escape, the first teaser trailer... It doesn't make sense for this movie specifically. Correct. The They were in crates in the first one, but they are never yeah. in crates in this movie. Uh, it came out on the DVD release of B Movie. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That makes sense. That was 07. So the DVD for B Movie. That was like, I used to love that shit, man. Where they would like, they were they would have like a little sticker in the corner on the B Movie DVD. I probably still <laughs> have it at home. It's like, first look, Madagascar 2. When, I never when, noticed this. When I went to go see Sinbad, Legend of the Seven Seas, uh, which is another DreamWorks movie with Brad Pitt as Sinbad. Not the comedian, like the like the swashbuckler. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that is a thing. So summer 03, I saw the movie, and they gave us a CD-ROM, and on the outside of the CD-ROM was the first logo for Shrek 2. It was a 2 <laughs> in the Shrek color, and it had the Shrek's no ears. on it, yeah. And I, the, the level of hype that, like, teaser posters and stuff did at the time, <laughs> awesome. But well, anyway, so, yeah, to set, the, to set the time, that was on the B-movie DVD. Yeah, that's all that. that oh, was I, thought you had more, I thought you had nope, more to it than that. that's it, man. Um, that was my fun fact for this one. So. Come back to me when you want the stats. I got them. Alex, Gloria, Mar- Marty, and Melman are trying to get back to New York. Uh, they spent the first movie in Madagascar. They got through all their problems. They have a, like, abandoned plane that the Penguins, Skipper, Kowalski, Rico, and Private, who are consensus the best things about this movie like often thought to and me. also could have been names from top gun <laughs> yeah yeah it, well that's kind of yeah that's kind of the the joke oh. of eventually they got their own spin-off movie uh mm-hmm. where they were the leads in 2014 um but they have rebuilt this plane they take the plane it immediately crash lands <laughs> in africa <laughs> and they happen to crash land on the preserve where alex's family uh resides and he meets his mother for the first time he meets his father played by the this was like the second to last role for bernie mac uh he does the voice role um and from there they all kind of have their own subplots of like trying to fit in they get separated alex goes through literally basically goes through the lion king um with alec baldwin as like the aggressor 
Scar-esque character trying to take uh, Alex's father's place as the head of the Pride and mm-hmm. the head of the Reserve. Um, and then a lot of stuff happens from there. It's like not it's not really like a flowing plot. It's like four different plots that eventually converge, which is hard, which is like kind of how it goes with like ensemble animated movies a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a little sloppy, but it's like the movie's fun. Um, it's also dedicated to Bernie Mac at the end. Like you said, it was his one of the one of the last two or three movies of his career. Um, can drop another FF at you. That that stands for fun fact. Um, Bernie Mac, two movies in 2008. He died in August of 08. Two movies came out. I know the second one. You know, because it came out one? the same weekend. Soul Men. I thought it was my fun fact that they came out the same day. Soul Men. Soul Men. It's him. It's Samuel Jackson, and it's Isaac Hayes, who also died that year. And it was also his last movie. Oh. I, I won up your fun fact. Well, and then the next year, Bernie's last movie. That I don't know. Old Dogs. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. What a horrible way yeah, to go out. That too. That's Travolta and Robin Williams, right? Rest in yeah. peace to Robin Williams as well. Dang, man. Rest in peace, John Travolta. The Madagascar conversation got a little bit of a bummer. I should clarify, John Travolta's not dead. Yeah, his career. But... That's why I was going for it. Yeah. I, I, I got in hot water once when I uh, when I killed off Bob Barker, so I take this very seriously. Yep, I think all all CCG heads remember that. I can confirm that Travolta's career is dead, though. I think this is a good time to kind of talk about the Madagascar trilogy's place in terms of box office and the stats that you have, um, yeah. because it's a popular franchise. It's not their most popular, but it like they were solid money makers in all three settings. Like mm-hmm. the first and the third came out right in the heat of the summer. Uh, and this one came out as like a holiday movie season and ended up, it was one of the top 10, 15 movies of 2008, if I remember correctly. Kids loved these movies. Yeah. And that's another thing that with these kids movies, like I think there's probably a bit of a different pattern overall with sequels and, and threequels to these things because, it, you know, it's just a different ball game from something like a hangover or a meet the parents in terms of quality. And is this franchise going on too long? Because kids aren't really going to have that opinion. And if the kid wants to see it, the parents are going to take him to see the movie. It's a matter of standards, too. Um, every franchise is different. Like, I have more expectations for the Toy Story sequels than I do yeah. the, I mean, the Madagascar these, sequels. And, like, certainly Pixar, but I think even DreamWorks, like, there is a level of adherence to quality that um, movie studios that cater to adults probably don't stick by as much. There is a, there is a, form, there is a formula that they don't stray too much from a lot mm-hmm. of these times. There are definitely tiers of ambition in these animated movies. You can even find that within DreamWorks. Like the How to Train Your Dragon trilogy is terrific. All three of those movies are legitimately terrific, um, but they are trying more than the Madagascar movies are, which are just trying to be like fun, zany comedies. And they succeed to certain extents. Like the plot barely matters in all three movies. But something that I found as the trilogy progresses, we're not going to talk about the third one, but the third one's my favorite. It gets closer to a Looney Tunes cartoon. It gets more, the animation style gets quicker. Hmm. It's it's more slapsticky in like funny ways. It's like less, there's too much like cringy stuff here where it's kind of like, they love the, I like to move it, move it. And like Chris Rock saying crack a lacking and stuff like that. They love, right. they love butts. They love stuff okay. like that. Like one of the few, Jokes that actually I like I really kind of chuckled at in this movie was um, Chris Rock said that's not crack a lacking and I think it was Alex Lyon who said it certainly is lacking in the Kraken. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, they have all these supporting characters that like the kids love. Like the the penguins are hysterical. I I love the penguins. Yeah, they're great. They're they're very fun. like they're for those of you who don't or aren't familiar, they are 
the penguins are kind of like secret operatives. They're basically CIA agents in terms of skill and like they 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 operate in this like morally gray area where like which the movie sets the tone for right away when they when they like put the DreamWorks kid in the sleep hole <laughs> sleep hole in the <laughs> opening logo. Um but they're like they're not in it enough. Like the movie is focused on the four main characters and they're the comedy that comes from their plots kind of the mileage will vary. And then yeah. you also have your side characters, Sasha Baron Cohen plays King Julian, who was like the king of Madagascar, has come along with them for reasons that are not very clear, other than they just wanted the character to be here. Mm-hmm. They don't really do anything with him until the last half an hour, where all of a sudden he just like says something that's super influential to everybody on the preserve, even though nobody knows who he is. Yeah. Um, and Cedric the Entertainer's there as his um, sidekick. Uh, and then Andy Richter voices the little, the little guy Mort, who keeps getting beaten up and chased by the shark. And oh. who voices who voices the penguins? Do you know? They're nobody like big. Oh, okay. they're they're. It's like when they get the animators to do a lot of the voices. You know what I mean? Gotcha. It also had Sherry Shepard, Will I Am. You mentioned Alec Baldwin. Will I Am has a song that is threaded throughout this movie. That is like you, you could tell he was having a moment because this song is terrible, yeah. but they're still gonna push it. <laughs> Madagascar 2 also was co-written by uh, Eton Cohen, who did like, you know who he is? He did some of like the Men in Blacks and things like that. Yeah. Not Ethan Cohen. Tropic Thunder, Get Hard. Yes. Yeah. Holmes and Watson. Ugh. Won the Razzie for that, for Worst Director. He just co-wrote The Bad Guys, uh, anim- another DreamWorks animated movie that just came out that was pretty solid. When I when I fir- first saw his name, I thought it was... um. Ethan Cohen of the Cohen brothers changing his Under name. Under a pseudonym. Um, pseudonym. Yeah, like, you know, like the, you know, the uh, um, John Smithy thing with directors? Like that. Yeah. There's nothing to be ashamed of here, you know, so. No, but I mean, I, the first time I saw it was when I was watching, like, Met, at the beginning of Men in Black, uh, Men in Black Johnny Knoxville, whichever one that was. I think that was, it was two, I believe. The one that opens up my favorite pizza place in the city. What's the name of said favorite pizza place? That's just how I remember the movie. Sabaros. <laughs> Sparrows, yeah. Daryl Sparrows. Um, so, <laughs> uh, famous Ben's of Spring Street. Shout out to them. Um, this episode sponsored by... <laughs> no. Um, you had some stats for me that you keep... I, we keep teasing, but you're not reading. Yeah, let's do it. Um, Madagascar 1, a.k.a. Madagascar... Madagascar, parentheses, 2005, close parentheses. Madagascar, episode one. Uh, $75 million budget pulled in $556.6 million. That's a good multiplier. Look at that. Something always keeping track of to put those numbers into perspective for everybody listening. The $75 million budget is the base production cost. Doesn't take into account what it takes to edit the trailer and put out billboards and stuff like that. So really the movie probably cost 200 mil. But it made 500 mil, so right. they got investment. Yeah, and whenever you see the budgets, too, it's always a clean number, but then the box office, they're always exactly. down to the point. Exactly. Great point, <laughs> yes. Yep. Um, great point. Huh. I made a great point. Yeah. Okay, we're going to stop recording and uh, wrap it up. That's it for this season of the Cinema Train. Um, so, um, Madagascar 2, they doubled the budget, $150 million, and it pulled in... 603 so we're already going down a bit that's still really good though it is yeah open it was uh it was definitely a more competitive time of year that it opened in 
And also, something to keep in mind with these animated movies, too. They make a lot of their money off of, like, toys and stuff like that, too. So, really, like, the baseline cost of the movie, the money that they make in other areas kind That's of not justifies it. That's exactly. the, the box office earnings. Yeah, like, Dis- like Disney will... Disney makes buttloads of money off of movies like Toy Story, even if the box office wasn't great, you know? Right. Which has never, has never been true, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Europe's Most Wanted, the third one, $145 million, so it was actually cheaper than the second one. And uh, salary. pulled in 746.9. Which is, that's bigger than the others. Yeah. So, and again, it's the, it, it's the best one um, by a good margin. That one, also to put some context into it, um, 3D. Right in the middle of the big 3D oh, craze. Okay. So that well, that certainly explains. I'm a lot sure too, if you inju- I'm sure if you adjust it for in- inflation, it would probably go two one three. No two mm-hmm. th- uh, probably two three one. It also third one's also like, uh, pretty far and away the highest rated, both re- critics and 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 uh, audience scores for it. Yeah, the first one is third not one. liked. Correct. By people that don't have a lot of nostalgia for it. It's it's fine, the first one. This one I would call decent to good. I think it's got a lot of, you know, the, the, the plot is whatever. It kind of just, like, builds to a conclusion that doesn't really matter or make sense. There's no emotional resolution that you're really all that interested in. Um, but, you know, it's bright, it's colorful, it's energetic. It gets the job done. Um, you know who um, recorded... Uh, recorded you know who wrote on the third one or did rewrites on i do not noah palmback did like 60 pages of rewrites according to jeffrey katzenberg on europe's most wanted this was pre noah palmback really finding his stride like this is pre francis ha and stuff like that but i guess but it would be post squid in the whale right that movie the third one has a really good francis mcdormand vocal performance she plays the villain um She's very funny and very sharp in it. Yeah, I saw that on Wikipedia today because I have not seen anything about the third one. I've, I've the third not one, seen it, never saw parts of it. The third one is like they, it again, they're still trying to get home. They end up in Europe where like, an like a, I don't know if it's like a police officer or she's like animal control. And she like chases them across all of Europe just to get these four animals. They join the circus at one point. Uh, and you know why she was in it? They told her that her husband di- uh, directed the second one. Yeah. Etan Cohen. Etan Cohen, yeah. Oh, uh, she married to Joel Cohen, though? I don't know. She's married to one of the Cohen. She's married to Joel Cohen and has been since 1984. 94, 04, 14. They've been married almost 40 years. It's like pre both of them being famous. That's, that's great. That's awesome. I, uh, I, and I. All right, we're getting so far away from Madagascar 2. Let's rein it back in. What do you think of, what did you think of the movie? I feel like you haven't talked about what you think of the movie itself. As you stall. There's also a Joel Cohen writer, which is not Joel Cohen. C-O-H-E-N? Yeah. Maybe he's the... related to e- E-Town. Yeah, but, but he's Co- not. C-O-H-E-N. But, and we've definitely talked about this before. He's the one who wrote Garfield, and that's why Bill Murray did it, because he thought it was a Cohen yeah, Brothers yeah. movie. So um, anyway, I was listening, shockingly, to what you were saying. It Sasha Baron Cohen is in Madagascar 2, which oh you're going to give your thoughts on now. God, look at that. Um, look, it's good. I liked it. You know, it doesn't knock me off my feet, taking by surprise the way that a Pixar movie does. So it's, it's kind of the same as what I could say about any DreamWorks movie. Um, there were points where I was, I found myself paying attention to it, not just because I had have to for the podcast. And, um, that doesn't 
it happened a lot with animated movies for me i feel like it's actually a pretty um, good compliment yeah yeah it sounded like it wasn't but it's you got around to I, making it good i also um i just really like schwimmer as the hypochondriacter f that's good casting i've always been a proponent for schwimmer's ability to play nervous yeah vocally physically and everything in the later seasons of friends he does that to sometimes extreme degrees but it's it is i i think like an insane talent that he has i knew you would latch on to schwimmer for obvious reasons because yeah, we we're big big friends fan yes he is good and i i would also say too you were saying this movie is kind of based in the comedy rather than a larger meaning um i was wondering um, how much thought you think DreamWorks like put into the meaning of the plot or not? I don't think a ton. I think they just needed to find like the so the obvious message is that like your group will always be there for you no matter what. Um, mm-hmm. stuff you know stuff like that. Because yeah, so I was <laughs> See, I don't, I even, have, I don't to... even have much more to say beyond that. No, like... but I was reading like some reviews that people were writing online and um, like user reviews on like Letterbox and stuff for the movie and. Some people are looking at it through the lens of what you usually see, you know, the way you usually see Pixar movies are, they talk about turning red being about puberty and, and whatever, every movie's about something with like specifically deeper with Pixar. With this, they were saying it's a story about like being accepted by your parents. The uh, Alex, the lion is like not accepted by his dad because he's dancing rather than, yeah. rather than fighting. I don't. I would not have thought to look into it that much. Um, it certainly doesn't like beat you over the head with that. It's there. I but guess it's you not, can make that argument. Yeah, but it's, it's it is about that, but it's not only about that. Like the thing about Pixar movies is that they're so singularly focused, like to yeah. the point where sometimes the metaphor is a little obvious. Right. But it's not like that's not a negative, especially for children. Right. You know. Um, this one has a couple of those like different things. Like. Um, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, th- there's not going to be a lot of. There's not going to be a think piece written about how Alex the Lion is a representation of 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 like the, uh, is a deconstruction of masculinity. No, right? No, definitely um, not. It, I but think the, so. That's to the extent I wonder what to what extent the writers are talking about and the DreamWorks executives are talking about that. I don't think I don't think a ton. I think they find the baseline script, and th- I'm not saying uh, that this is not to say they don't put effort into it per se, but it's. The, the jokes and the visuals come first, I think. And then, you know, the story is kind of fill in the blanks, at least for this specific franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that's kind of partially aided by the fact that this is an ensemble. So you don't really have the luxury of having one singular streamlined message that you compound over and over again. Right. Because then like Chris Rock, Marty the Zebra, it's it, you could argue it's about like certainly about him you know being unique as an individual you could argue it's about like racism or, or something like that too. yeah so we've talked about alex's journey a little bit um that's a good pivot point marty's journey through the movie is he he meets every 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 single zebra on the yeah. on the reserve looks exactly like him talks exactly like him and that's frustrating for him because he thought he was unique you know, he was a unique person in New York, a unique zebra in New York, and now he's not. Unique New York. Unique New York. <laughs> Human Torch was denied a bank loan. Um, and then you have Gloria, who is just kind of horny. Like, she's never seen male hippos before. Is that a hippo joke? It wasn't meant to be. Do hippos have horns? No, I guess not. No, I don't think so. Husks. They have ears in this movie. She just has ears. 
Oh, I'm thinking of a boar. So, so yeah, he, so that's her whole... I mean, Glory and Melman are just along for the ride in all three of these movies. This is the one by far they get the most to do in, if I remember correctly. It's usually Alex is the focus because Ben Stiller is the marquee name. Uh, and his relationship with Marty is questioned in, like, all of them. Uh, and then Gloria and Melman have, like, a side plot. Melman's in love with Gloria. Mm-hmm. But he's, like, too afraid to tell her. And she wants to be with this guy, Moto Moto. Who just likes her for her body. Yeah. Who, uh... My, my parents love the scene where he comes out of the water. And he, the, I like him big. I like him chunky. <laughs> my parents think it's so funny. Um... It's a pretty good scene. Yeah, but it's a pretty weak <laughs> subplot, which I kind of wanted to get into when we were talking about Schwimmer earlier. Like, he he's doing what he can with the hypochondriac part of Melman, and that stuff mm-hmm. still sells. I Like, I don't really care about them being in love. Like, it really doesn't ever feel like a priority. It just felt like they ran out of things to do with the character, and it kind of weakens the whole thing, the whole movie as, as a piece, because... Like we're talking about, nobody's going to write any think pieces about this because then they would have to address this out of nowhere tangent that kind of detracts from whatever the main message might be. Do you did you did you have other point parts that you feel like didn't work in the movie like that? I kind of don't love how the whole thing is just like a Lion King ripoff. Sure, Baldwin was just kind of Baldwin was not really like giving a performance. He's just being Baldwin. he's just being Alec Baldwin. Oh yeah, which is fine. No, like I said, I like liked it, and I did not feel like I had a lot to pick apart from it. One thing that I did that I kind of fl- flagged was Zuba, his dad, Alakai's dad, when it comes out that he is not a real king. Which, by the way, that kind of goes into the trope we were talking about all last week, where it's like misunderstanding and nobody talks to each other. And why couldn't they just explain exactly yeah. what the competition is? Why did they assume that he was whatever? Yeah, where Alex's dad thinks that he is a king of the lions in New York, but he's actually just plays the role of a king at the Central Park Zoo. Uh, when that is found out, Alec Baldwin's character... Uh, tells Alex's dad that he must, as the alpha lion in the tribe, he has to banish his son, Alex, or Alakai, from the land. And immediately, and believably, uh, Alex's dad instead says, well, then I won't be the alpha lion. He resigns his post. He says, I won't banish my son. And he's like only supportive of his son. Yeah. In the very next scene, on a dime, he's now like mad at his son at Alex line. He's like, this is your fault. You should have just told me you weren't a real king. You're not a real king. And that you know, says things that he regrets. And then Alex Lyon walks away and stuff. That was the only thing I had an issue with, which is I believe both of the reactions, but it just kind of like was a shift that happened really quickly. And I, I just kind of like didn't know where it came from. Like you didn't see his dad getting mad. Yeah. I kind of felt like they were almost out of order. The scenes, like it felt like, um, I thought he, I, yes, I, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I do think that like, him defending his son like that was kind of like a public show. He was really like upset and disappointed in that moment. And then he, once they're in private, he can finally show it. But it, like, I can see how there's no build up to it. You know what I mean? Like, they don't. Yeah, have... it just felt like a quick jump to me. Or like we were missing a scene. And that's another yes. thing with these movies. They, like, kids' movies try to keep it tight. Like, we were talking about comedies last week and they try to keep it tight. Uh, this movie is only 89 minutes long. So you have like three to five different, like, you have Alex's plot. Which is the main plot. You have Marty and Glory Melman, which is two subplots. And then you have Julian's contribution to the plot, which is minimal, but makes an impact on the Melman Gloria story later because 
he's like, hey, like the water dries up and he's like, hey, I uh, I'm a god. Let's sacrifice somebody. <laughs> like, yeah. OK. Um, and Melman thinks he's going to die. So he's like, all right, well, I'll do it. Um, and then. Yeah, the other plot, which is the just the pure comedy part, which is the penguins putting together the plane and they get the monkeys to help out. But the monkeys try to unionize. Which is like, yeah, which is really good. <laughs> and that's another thing that is, it's another example of um, like, how, how much were they thinking about this? Did they just stumble upon this meaning or did meaning uh, or did they not, you <laughs> know, with, with treating your workers, right? No, but it, the, mon- the monkeys unionize every, like I said, everything with the penguins is at least minorly funny if not hilarious the monkeys you're really a penguin fanboy the the monkeys (laughs) at the monkeys ask for maternity leave and he's like he's like you're all males why do you need maternity leave but then they blackmail him with the photo of him like of private or no skipper doing the things with the hawaiian girl he's all right you can all have maternity leave (laughs) yeah we'll get into more penguin jokes in a bit but i I wrote down some of my favorite ones (laughs) But yeah, so basically, like, there's all these plots all crammed into 89 minutes, and only a few of them are going to be satisfying yeah. when that happens. There was going to be a fourth movie that was then put on hold and never came back. A fourth Madagascar, I right. should say. Which now will not come back because Chris Rock and Jada Pickett-Smith on the same so, log line. And that's line. the big, that's, yeah, that's something big, else. I can't believe I forgot. the big hippo in the room. <laughs> Chris and Jada are both in this movie. Uh, like, they, listen, they were probably not never in the same room together. You know, they probably were fine or, with each other. Or... It all started there. Yeah, I'm sure. It all started on the set of Madagascar Will, 1. Will was there. No, Will was there recording his lines for Shark Tale, which came out the year before. <laughs> and Jada was there for Madagascar. And her and Chris were like buddy-buddy. And Will started to get jealous. <laughs> yeah. In the recording studios of DreamWorks <laughs> is where this all started back in 2003, 2004. Yeah, listen, it's just a funny little connection. There's no, there's nothing to it more than the fact that they are two of the co-stars together. They probably have spent time in social circles together and... Yeah, they probably went to these premieres together. How would sex between a giraffe and a hippo even work? I don't know. I think they're a platonic couple. Yeah. So they're life partners. They're not like, whatever. No, you know, I get the feeling that like the giraffe, Schwimmer's like, I love you. But like, it's more of like when a kid likes his babysitter and then he's like, we're married now, right? And then the babysitter's like, sure, we're married. And then he goes to school and he tells yeah, but he everybody like, in his class that he has a girlfriend. He breaks up with like an actual, he breaks up an actual partner for her for this. Like, there's got to be something here. Yeah, I think she's just humoring him. Right. Where she's like, oh, I've realized all alone you're like my, so they're like, they're like soulmates, but they're like. They're soulmates, but they're not lovers. Because uh, again, we're talking about like, Jada um, here. She, she, she. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good rapper. <laughs> She's got her own people. For you, you saved me from making a reference that I'm going to make anyway, because I, I set it up. It's like, it's like Stephen Hawking and his wife. Remember, she ended up like marrying another man, but still like loved Stephen. No, I did not know that. I remember that. <laughs> she watched The Theory of Everything. It's a solid movie. Um, Yeah, I don't like it because I saw the trailer and thought it was going to be bad. And then I decided. It's solid. It's not great. And then, um, and then I was mad that it was good because I was wrong. As you often are. As not, often. not wrong, mad that you were wrong. Mad that I'm wrong. <laughs> um, mad about dads. Yeah, I'm and just gonna father of the pride. I'm gonna I'm gonna list off a couple of the penguin one-liners I liked. A lot of them Let's came in the opening scene where they launched the plane and clearly don't know what they're doing. When they launched the plane, he says it's the second biggest slingshot he's ever seen. 
there's a part where he there's a caution light blinking and he takes the manual and he uses the manual to break the caution light just so it stops blinking. <laughs> and then then they crash and they can't find Mort and they can't find they can't find one other person. And they're like, good job, guys. Only two passengers <laughs> yeah. are accounted for. <laughs> yeah. I call that a, a roaring <laughs> success. Like I also liked when they said um, over the plane PA we, as, it's, as it's crashing, we have good news and we have bad news. Good news is we'll be landing soon. The bad news is it's a crash, crash land. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And then like they ask, Alex asks how long it's going to take. And he says like six to nine months. And they're like, 69 months? And it's like he, he like starts to threaten him. And then Rico takes out a switchblade. Rico's the one that doesn't talk. Yeah, I was confused about the inclusion of the... 69 6 to 9 thing because they did it a couple times yeah it was weird i just i thought it kind of like backtracked the original joke which was like we'll have this fixed in no time six to nine months right but then they heard 69 months and they said no six to nine which i think just kind of that just feels like you're backtracking the joke if anything it would make sense to put it the other way yeah does that make sense sure i, I hear you that's my nitpick <laughs> And for that reason, I've deducted four stars from this movie. We didn't. There's a part that we have not talked about at all that actually plays a huge part in the climax, and that's the human caravan that had been traveling through the safari that yes. the penguins steal their ride. <laughs> yeah. So it, humans the, from New York. Were you surprised? Were you confused? Yeah. Like the were you confused about the grandmother? No, I, I got the impression that she was in the first movie, and then I later confirmed. She's a, she's a small joke in the first movie when they're first escaping from Central Park Zoo. And they end up at Grand Central, um, and she kicks. Oh, the, okay. I she kicks she... the crap out of Alex. So when they see each other again, they show down again. There's no real reason to bring her back, just to give them a threat at the end of the movie, so that they can get to the point where they have to break the dam and save mm-hmm. the water. And but this is the human obstacle they have to go through. Um, it is. It is a little bit convenient that like uh, he he starts dancing, and they're like, "Oh, you're the same lion that disappeared." thousands of miles away in New York. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's convenient that, the, yeah, they recognize the lion. It's convenient that the New York tourist is there, but it's also convenient that the animals talk, so I think it's allowed. True. But they don't talk to the humans. They talk to each other. That's true. That is scientifically something that happens in real life. Melman's face is kind of cursed. It's weird. Cursed? It's like, well, like, the animation here, I would say, is good. It's aged okay. Human. The humans don't really look good. Um... And a couple of the characters look weird. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it looks better than Father of the Pride looked. So I think like yeah, DreamWorks is really... Father of the Pride didn't have $150 million to work with, though. Or did they? You don't know how much I, not good I would is. hope not. What do you think is a bigger... Is Jeffrey Katzenberg's bigger failure? Father of the Pride or Quibi? Oh, it's Quibi. It's not even close. <laughs> how many people... Thousands of people lost their jobs over Quibi. Yeah, but honestly... And look, that sucks, but come on, they should have seen it coming. What was your favorite <laughs> what was your favorite Quibi show? Oh my god. Does it surprise you that I specifically have a great one? I mean one that I think is great. Chrissy's Court? No, there were two shows The Most Dangerous Game with Liam Hemsworth. No, I got Quibi for one reason initially, which was to well, it was a free trial, so that's what reason one. But it was to watch Reno when it came out. Reno number one on Quibi. There is a show on Quibi that I truly loved ironically and seriously and i want to see it was called murder house flip did you ever yes. hear this uh, yeah well i uh, when it when it was coming out yes yep 
it is a house flipping show, but the houses, this is real. It's uh, the houses all had murders take place in them. And the new owners are basically like, we want to rejuvenate the house. The entire premise is like, if our house looks better, we'll kind of forget that somebody was murdered here. And then they do it over the course of three little mini quibs or whatever you call them. Um, <laughs> they flip the house. Quib clips. Um, it's funny because you look at all of Quibi's original programming on Wikipedia and it has it listed as like renewed and it's like that's not that's not coming back like where yeah. renewed where some and of them are like moving three to the, episodes yeah too, like, some of them are moving to the roku channel yeah could you even find that on a roku no there's no way it's easy to find no it um i look i truly think murder house flip has legs but at the same time it was kind of disrespectful but look i burned through every episode of that show man let me tell you um any other thoughts on madagascar escape to africa um we didn't really talk no. about Sasha. Let's talk about Sasha. He's like the comic relief. He's the comic relief. He does a silly voice. He plays King Julian. I forgot he was the end of the chain. So that's why you want to talk about Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. King Julian is like, he's good for a one liner too. He's kind of more annoying comic relief than the Penguins. He has a funny line where Mort is like rushing at the plane to try to join them. And he yells that he's holding scissors and cream or like scissors and nails or something like that. So that they all tackle him. Like all the other <laughs> lemurs tackle him like TSA. <laughs> You know, that reminds me of in, uh, apparently Meet the Parents, that movie resulted in like an actual bomb threat for an airline. <laughs> Which is wild. Yeah. Um, meaning like there, they're, yeah, I guess in Meet the Parents 1, he says bomb to a flight attendant. And then like, honestly, it doesn't matter. I'm going to cut this part out. Too much of a tangent. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> or I'm not going to cut it out, but I will leave this part in of me saying I'm not going to No, leave it in. It's it. fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, uh, yeah, that's it. There was, there was, and this is even more of a tangent. But I'm watching the second. Don't worry, we saved the time for me not going down mine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm watching the second season of the flight attendant, the Kelly Cuoco HBO Max show, and there's just like a subtle thing that I noticed. I'm not going to talk about the quality show because it doesn't really matter. But she's a flight attendant, obviously, as per the title. Um, and they're talking about a bomb that goes off in one of the first episodes, and. She's on a plane and she whispers bomb instead of just says it. And it's like, wow, that's how it actually would be. You would never say bomb out loud. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I'm Madagascar. Want to make a new chain? Let's make a new chain. It, it just occurred to me that I feel like we're going to get Talladega Nights on this because I just watched it. Well, let's find out. As per usual, I am going to be the one generating the actor, and you're going to generate the chain. We are going to start with Sasha Baron Cohen. This will be chain number nine. We're almost in double-digit chains. It's pretty crazy. So I'm going to generate ten actresses. So we're going actor to actress like we usually do. And you are going to pick a number between one to ten, and we will find out what our chain is. We'll find out the actress in the chain. You know what I meant. Number one. We are going from Sasha Baron Cohen... To Dame Judy Dench. Oh, okay. It's fine. I, I've seen enough of her. So Nick is generating the chain now, and he's going to tell us what the next two movies, I would assume two movies, maybe more, are going to be. I would assume we're going to get some kind of Sasha, like, broad comedy and a connector through that. Okay. You're right. It might be Talladega Nights. So let's find um, out. Okay. Sasha Baron Cohen is connected to Judy Dench. Again, no surprise, by only two movies. Connecting actress Penelope Cruz. Sasha Baron Cohen and Penelope Cruz together. Is it 
a musical? I don't know. Is it nine? No. All right, I don't have time for this. Just tell me. Grimsby. Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. That's that is a yeah. That, that's exactly what I thought it was going to be. It's like a it's a broad comedy with him and Mark Strong and uh, yeah yeah. It's going to be very similar to our Keeping Up with the Joneses conversation. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then Penelope Cruz to Judy Dench in Murder on the Orient Express, which I have seen, which is solid. A lot of people in that movie, so that makes sense. Penelope Cruz is in Grimsby. Penelope Cruz is in Grimsby. Weird. Okay. So yeah, Grimsby and Murder on the Orient Express. Okay. It's actually called The Brothers Grimsby here in America. Oh, okay. So I do know that. All right. Well, those are our two movies for our next chain. Join us for chain number nine next time. For Nick Ricardo, I'm Andrew Auger. The chain continues. Rip a pull.